Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 16th of September 2012, entitled A Pattern for Greatness. And the Bible reading is taken from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Philippians chapter 2. While you're turning there, this, this is one of those... I mean, all of God's Word is great. This is one of those very special passages of Scripture. But in fact, it is one of the passages that, as long as we had our independent Christian school here, it was one of the passages that all the kids had to memorize uh, and say before the others. Because, boy, if we could find the truths that are present within these verses, truly put them to work in our lives, uh, it's phenomenal what they would do. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, we're going to just uh, read the first uh, uh, 16 verses. I invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, beginning in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. The Word of God says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit... If any bowels and mercies fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Father, I thank you so much for this time that we can have together in your word. And now, Lord, in these next moments, we do pray that you would just take, use this servant that stands here, Lord, unworthy within himself, Lord, undeserving within himself, but Lord, I pray that you would take, use him for your glory, for your honor, to speak to hearts, to each one, that that they need this evening, 
Lord, whatever that these words need to speak to each and every heart, we pray that you would do it through the power of your Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you ever realized it or not, but there are no perfect churches. <laughs> they used to say many times, and I guess it still applies, that you know, if you ever find a perfect church, for goodness sake, don't join it because it won't be perfect any longer. The simple truth is, is that all churches have their strengths and their weaknesses. I should say probably all biblical churches have their strengths and their weaknesses. There are places that call themselves churches that I'm not sure you'd find a, a whole lot of strengths, but true New Testament churches that we've been looking at in our morning services, they all have their strengths and they all have their weaknesses. We see that when we look into the Scriptures, of course, as John, through his revelation, as the letters were written there to the seven churches of Asia, we find that in those, he was expounding to them their strengths, but also their weaknesses that needed to be worked on amongst them. We find that even as we look through the New Testament, a great portion of it is written to individual New Testament churches. And we find as those churches are written to that there were strengths that they were commended for, and there were weaknesses, things that they needed to, to work on. And of course, if we're honest, when we look in the mirror, we know that we've got weaknesses, and our church is us. And so therefore, our church has strengths and it has weaknesses just like all others that are filled with human beings. This letter before us that was written to the church at Philippi, it seems that at least one of the weak spots in this church was maybe a bit of undisciplined living that was bringing about a lack of harmony and unity amongst its members. Three different times in this letter, the Apostle Paul must have been wanting to get his point across. Three different times he exhorts them to unity. Unity and meekness and unity and joy. Of course, the implication is that they were, they were simply being undisciplined in the way that they were living their lives. They weren't living them according to the way that they knew that they should. One of those times, of course, is in the first five verses that we just read here a moment ago. This church is being exhorted, if there be any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. The first thing we see there is, of course, this, this unity literally of, of, of mind and heart there in verse 2. And he goes on, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Let not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now, we're going to come back to those verses in just, just a moment. But if you look just across, in my Bible, it's on the same page, chapter 1 and verse 27. In this same letter, he's saying, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Now, that's 
That's a pretty awesome statement if you stop and think about what he's saying there. Only let your conversation, your lifestyle, not just what you say, your lifestyle be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. The lives that we live, everything about us, is it something that is becoming of the gospel, that makes the gospel what it ought to be, or are we speaking the gospel with our mouths and our lives are showing something different? He says that whether I come and see you or else be absent, doesn't matter whether I'm there or whether I'm not, I may hear of your affairs, what I want to hear about you, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Again, this, this exhortation that is being given to them here is for this oneness that together, they're working together for the sake of the gospel that it might go forth. Notice over also in chapter 4 of this same letter. And notice what he says there in the first five verses. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Judas and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and with others, my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Again, they're being exhorted here to work together for that unity that they need so much among them. You see, this church appears, from what we can see, to be sound in its doctrine. It's great what they're teaching and what they're preaching, but they're not manifesting that unity of spirit. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, the simple truth is where there isn't concord, there's going to be discord. Where there is not harmony, there's going to be disharmony. It seems that with the folks in the church at Philippi here that their believing was all right. It was their behaving that was all wrong. What they believed was not the problem. It was that in their lifestyles, in the way that they were living, that those things were not as they ought to be. You see, it is very possible to hold all the truths, to stand strong on the great doctrines. It's very possible to be sound in everything that is being taught and being preached, but to fail, if you would, to make the teaching about God and our Savior attractive to those around us. You say, preacher, should we do that? Well, we shouldn't change it. It says what it says. But we're talking about lifestyles here. If we're saying all these wonderful truths, and yet our lifestyles are not supporting that. You know, 
Well, it's, it's, it's not going to be very attractive to people many times. They're going to say, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. Paul wrote to Titus this in Titus chapter 2, verse 10, not purloining. What's it mean to purloin? To steal something, to take it away. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. Listen to these next words. Why? That they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. What does it mean to adorn something? You know, when we adorn it, that's the way that we clothe it. That's the way that we present it. Well, he's teaching this young preacher that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. He's not talking about fancy words. He's not talking about dressing it up. He's talking about the... (coughs) Pardon me. The fact is that the truths are great, but the lifestyle that goes with it is going to speak volumes. And the simple truth is, is that people not only need to hear it, they need to be seeing it in our lives. It needs to be something that is attractive to them. You see, what is the big reason for the presence of the hindrances, obviously here at the church at Philippi, and probably in a great majority of churches today? I bet you could spell it for me. Four letters. S-E-L-F. Self. You know, it's not God's fault. It's not the church that he has built and the way that he has designed it. It's not that fault. It's us that's the problem every time. You know what? Ourselves can manifest ourselves pretty ugly sometimes. Not in the way that would be adorning the gospel in the right way. (laughs) adorning the truths of God in the right way. And you know what that biggest problem with S-E-L-F is? P-R-I-D-E, pride, pride. It's tough. You know, it it looks like some of these uh, Philippian Christians here had actually got centered upon themselves instead of others. Uh, It seems like they had gotten proud of who they were and what they were accomplishing. And boy, Paul's appealing to them. They need to change that. They need to change it very quick. They need to get their eyes off of themselves. They need to be looking upon others. You see, the disciples made that same mistake when they asked Jesus one time, you know, who was going to be the greatest in his kingdom. Remember when we looked there a couple of weeks ago? It was in that passage when they were talking about the greatness that he told them <laughs> if they didn't come like one of these little children, they wouldn't even see his kingdom. We find that the Bible teaches us very clearly that in order to be the greatest, you've got to become the least. You know, it's when we're trying, when we're thinking that we're great, we're really doing it. Boy, I wish every member of that church were like me. <laughs> I wish they were all as faithful as me. I wish they all loved God as much as me. I wish they all just did everything like me because me just does it so well. Peter put it this way when he was writing in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, let me read, uh, let's read the first uh, seven verses there. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. He says, the elders which are among you, 
I exhort. There's that exhorting again. Who am also an elder. That's what he was. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. What's he saying to these elders? Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. That's the responsibility of the preacher, of the pastor, of the elders. But notice what it goes on to say, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with, what's the next word in your Bible? Humility. Be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You see, the secret, the secret of harmony, concord, and unity is going to begin with humility. It's going to begin with humility. The secret of greatness is not seeing your greatness, but seeing the greatness of others. As a matter of fact, one thing that I was taught, even in the world, you know, this had, this had nothing to do with spiritual things whatsoever. Sometimes the world can grab onto some of our principles and put them to work because they work. But I was taught many years ago in business management that the greatest way to be a success is to make someone else a success. <laughs> the greatest way to be great yourself is to make others great. That's a Bible principle. That's not man's principle. Some people in the world have just borrowed it. They find that it works, and so they use it, and they teach it to others. You see, when we look at these things that are being taught to us here, simple thought and a pattern for greatness, a pattern for greatness, a pattern for greatness. We see that the first thing that we've already looked at here in these verses, we see an exhortation that we need to heed, an exhortation that we need to listen to, an exhortation that we need to put into practice. In these verses, we're being exhorted to unity, meekness, and humility. These verses speak for themselves. What were the things that, that we read there? First of all, we looked in these, into these verses. We find that they've already told us that if we're going to fulfill that joy, we need to be like-minded. We need to have the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Folks, I don't need to expound on those words. We need to be one. He says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. What is he talking about there? Not your little factions, not doing it so that you can be recognized. That's so hard. People get upset all the time because they've maybe done something really grand and really good. Wouldn't you know it? Nobody noticed it. <laughs> Nobody came along and patted them on the back. Nobody told them how great they were. They know that they're great. They've done something really great. 
but nobody else knows it. You see, that's what he's talking about here. Not for strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. In other words, you know, you go out and you, you do something and maybe, maybe you've done most of the work, but there's somebody else that pitches in to help just a little bit. Next thing you know, man, they're getting all the credit for it. You did most of it, but they're the ones that's being recognized for doing it. That's okay. That's okay. Let it be an encouragement to them. Thank God maybe it can strengthen them and, and spur them on to something else. The simple truth is he's saying here, be more worried about encouraging somebody else, somebody else getting the credits, somebody else being recognized for it, than for yourself. Put them before you. It doesn't matter if people know that you did it. God knows. We say, that's hard. I know. <laughs> it's real hard. But let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lotus of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Notice verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Don't be so worried about you and what you need and what people are recognizing you for. Be concerned about others' needs, other people, others, others, others. I'm saying that what we're being exhorted to here, if we're ever going to, to know this, he's talking about this, this oneness, uh, this one accord, this one mind, this same love, that it's only going to come about when we get self out of the way and we're more concerned about encouraging others and helping others and others being recognized than us ourselves. Does that seem hard? It is. It's not natural to the flesh. But I want you to notice what he does here next. He, he exhorts this, but then the next thing we see is not only an exhortation that needs to be heeded, but an example that needs to be followed. <laughs> what does he say in this next verse? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You see, verse 5 is really the key to everything here. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Humility. A lowly attitude. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? Well, unfortunately, too many Christians in the world today, they don't really know <laughs> what the mind of Christ was. They don't know enough about Jesus and how he acted and what his conduct was to know what the mind of Christ even is. We get the mind of Christ because he reveals it to us right here, folks. Through his Holy Spirit and his word, we can have and know the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let your attitude be like Jesus' attitude. Let your thinking be like Jesus' thinking. Let your actions be like Jesus'. Think the way he thought. We find that, you notice the very first word in the next verse, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, that who is Jesus, who in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is humility personified, if you would, you know, he's the only one. 
Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest unto your souls. (laughs) Take my yoke upon you. Let me have control of you. Take my yoke upon you. The yoke is what you take control of those oxen or those horses or whatever it is. He said, take my yoke upon you. Let me control it. Learn of me because I am meek and lowly and heart. You shall find rest unto your souls. He is the supreme example of humility that we could ever know. He is the example that we're given to follow who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, God the Father, we know that he is not in a visible form. He is a spirit. But this does mean that Jesus Christ himself, he was God. He is God. He will always be God. He always was, he is, and he always will be. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That Word was the one that was made flesh and dwelt among us. It was Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ, he came. He was God Almighty, creator of everything that was. He didn't consider equality with God something... (laughs) That had to be grasped at because he was God. He wasn't taking something that didn't belong to him when he, when he claimed that equality. The Gospel of John, chapter 5, and in verse 18. John, chapter 5, verse 18 says this. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because... He not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. In that same chapter, just a couple of verses down, we find in verse 23 that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. The Gospel of John, chapter 10, and in verse 33, the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, maketh thyself God. What I want you to see is that (laughs) there was no mistake. The Jews knew exactly who Jesus Jesus claimed to be and who he was. And they didn't like it one bit. What we need to understand and grasp from this is that this was God that came in the flesh here. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This amazing, 
condescension of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's described to us here in verses 7 and 8. They give us at least seven ways that he voluntarily, voluntarily took himself from the throne and put himself on a cross, made himself of no reputation. Now, that doesn't mean that he did away with his deity. It does mean, though, that when he became a man, he voluntarily laid aside his glory. He took off his royal robes and he came as a man. But he was still and always will be completely God as well. Colossians 2, 9, for in him, Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in that body. Jesus, God, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, the very nature of a servant. Now notice, it just got through saying in verse 6, who being in the form of God, and here in verse 7, took upon him the form of a servant. He was in the form of God, but he took upon himself the form of a servant. You look back into the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 and verse, verse 45. The Word of God says this to us. It says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. In that same gospel of Mark, and we'll leave those verses to later, simple truth is, is that we can find many places in the Scripture where that the Bible clearly shows us that Jesus willingly came to minister. He gave up his throne to come and to serve others, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. Romans chapter 8, verse 3 says this, says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. You see, Jesus was made, he manifest himself in human likeness. He was truly God, but he was truly man. And the Bible's talking about here that what the law couldn't accomplish because of the weakness of our flesh, not because of anything wrong with the law, it was weak through the flesh. God sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin condemned that sin in the flesh. We saw this morning, Jesus Christ, the only one. When we looked at his body, the only one that ever bodily, physically, totally fulfilled the law of God perfectly in perfect holiness and righteousness. 
made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, being found in fashion as a man. There's many verses, but he looked like a man. He got hungry like a man. He was tempted like a man. He was tired like a man. We can find all these different attributes that Jesus Christ, he knew exactly. He knows exactly how you feel. He humbled himself. Born in that little cheap town, Bethlehem. Stuck into a feeding trough for the animals. A manger in a stable. He was wrapped in rags, swaddling clothes, the Bible says. He was despised for being from that place called Nazareth, looked down upon. He worked a humble trade as a, as a carpenter. As he ministered, he had nowhere, we looked at recently, nowhere to lay his head even. We find that Jesus Christ, he came in the most humble. He humbled himself, became obedient to death. Obedient to death. You know, he asked his father if that cup could be taken from him too, but not my will, but thine be done. He felt all the pain, all the anguish, all the terrible weight that was on him, even the death of the cross, the most degrading, shameful death known. He couldn't have died a more disgraceful death on this earth. Yet willingly, willingly he submitted himself to all of those indignities. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, despising the shame, <laughs> scorning the shame. You know, the fact was, you know, there was nothing good about the shame that he was going through, but he did it because he loved us. The joy that was set before him. We find that Jesus Christ, having come down to this lowly state, this place of sin and sorrow, we find that there's something else that we need to see here. You see, simple truth is, is that if we're going to have a pattern of greatness, then that pattern of greatness is found in Jesus Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We have this exhortation that we need to heed to, this example that we need to follow, and that example is Jesus Christ himself. And you see, when we follow his example, what happened to him? There's an exaltation to behold, <laughs> an exaltation to behold, verses 9 through 11. This glorious exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bible says, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore God also 
hath highly exalted him. See, God exalted him to the highest place of all. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us were to believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he, God, wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, listen, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. That's where he was exalted to. You see, God has already put him there. He's given him a name which is above every name. We find that the Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every tongue should confess. Well, what we just read in Ephesians, simple truth is for every believer, we should already know it. We should already be humbling ourselves before him, recognizing where he is right now. But one day, it says even his enemies are going to bow. One day, everyone, everywhere will recognize exactly who he is of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord. We find that the pattern, the greatness is through Jesus Christ, the one that was willing to take himself. Nobody deserved more glory than he did. Nobody deserved to get the credit more than he did. And yet he willingly, the picture that he's giving us here, as this is being exhorted to this church that this is the way that they need to act, he says, you think it's a long ways for you to go? Look at where Jesus came from and look at what he came to for you. He's your example. God exalted him to the highest above all. He put himself to the lowest to serve every human being. You see, that's the pattern of greatness as individuals and as a church. The only way we're going to have that true unity, there's always going to be discord, as I said, where there's not accord. <laughs> there's going to be. Simple truth is, is that there's only one place. That's in Him. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. You see, if that's the mind that's in all of us, if we're thinking like he thinks, if we're following his example, oh, there'll be oneness of mind <laughs> because we'll all be thinking the same way. There'll be one love. There'll be a oneness that is there that, you know, what, what did Jesus do? I mean, you know, they brought this woman to him. I mean, I mean she was caught right in the very act of adultery. Okay, we know that's wrong. We know it's horrible. And we know that sin doesn't go unpunished. Go ahead then. The one that's without sin, you cast the first stone. You cast the first stone. You see, the thing is, for far less today, people start casting the stones. 
Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. This oneness of mind, heart, soul, following his example, thinking like he thinks. You see, God exalted him to the highest place of all. Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest in his kingdom, if you even want to see his kingdom, you're going to have to humble yourself as that little child. Simple truth is, is there is a great pattern before us. When you think you become great, you just hit the bottom. <laughs> great people don't seek to be great for the sake of themselves. They seek to do it for others, to make others great. Let this mind be in you. How? I'm glad you asked. Verses 12 and 13. Notice what it says, and we give you this in closing this evening. Verses 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out, is that say your neighbor's salvation? Work out somebody else's, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Notice the next verse, verse 4, it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You know, the only time you should have your eyes upon somebody else is not with what they're not doing, not with the weaknesses, the failings, should be to try to encourage them, to try to make them greater, to try to make them better in whatever way that you can. Never, ever, Jesus never one time made light of sin or condoned sin in any way. And if you make light or condone sin in your own life, you will face God with that. But we're not the other person's judge. We find that within this church, there needed to be a oneness. They needed to have the mind of Christ. It's through the power of his indwelling presence, where it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You know, you're not going to think like Christ if you don't spend some time with him and know him. You're not going to think like Christ when you're spending most of your time playing in the world, working in the world, messing in the world, and Christ has got practically none of it. Truth is, you've got to spend time with him. And as you get to know him, as he's closer to you, you know, they, they accuse husbands and wives of that a lot of times when they live together all those years. They actually begin to think alike, and they know what the other one's thinking before they ever say it and all these things. And, you know, there's a certain amount of truth to that. <laughs> we ought to be so close to Jesus. We ought to spend so much time with him that we start to think like he thinks. We start to act like he acts. It's Jesus that's working in us. It's God that's working in us. He is our greatest example, folks. He came. He couldn't have lowered himself any lower. Are we willing to do that for each other, to esteem the other person, to take the lower position, to always 
be lifting others up above ourselves, that they get the credit, that they get the glory, and we're not looking for it. That was what Jesus did. That was what we need to do. That's our pattern for greatness. That's how God can take and work in our lives and in our church. And it's certainly what God wants to do. It was a weakness. As far as I know, I mean, Church of Philippi was a good church, a sound church, doctrinally sound church, and all those things. But they needed their lifestyles changed. They needed to be working together, loving together, thinking together. They needed to have the mind of Christ instead of their own minds. They needed to be working, following his example, seeking simply to do as he did, leave God to do the exalting. He'll get it right, and he'll do it right. Father, thank you this evening. Lord, I trust and pray that we would not be so selfish and prideful that we would desire to be great, Lord, so that others could see how great we were. I pray, Lord, that the greatness that we would seek would be the greatness like our Lord Jesus Christ that was willing to give up all of his position and possessions and all that he had in order to come and serve others, to be a servant to others, to be able to lift others up. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have that same mind. Help us to work that way amongst ourselves as a body of believers, as a church. Help us, Lord, to focus on, you know, that, that person that seems to be struggling the most, that person that's having the toughest time. Help us to get there and to lift them up and to encourage them not to feel like we're better than they are, that we're stronger than they are, that we're doing a lot better job, but let's try to lift them up, that they can be a stronger and better Christian than ourselves. Lift them as high as we possibly can. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to look on the things of others and not our own in that way. Help us to have the mind of Christ. We know that it's you that's working within us. We know this doesn't come natural. We know it's not easy, but Lord, you've given us the pattern. May we seek to follow it. May we seek to follow your pattern and not try to make our own. We give you the praise and glory for it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.